Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard, and I'm taking Ohio State over Penn State in their game October 21st. BetOnline has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline today. Crime Sad listeners, near and far, welcome back to another episode where we talk true crime. My name is Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And let's get a proper shout out to our new Salad Toppings, a.k.a. patrons. Ricky, can you mention those patrons for us? Patrons, patrons. All right. So we have Amelia, Carrie, and Ashley. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all so much for supporting our show. Be sure to leave us a supporting review and subscribe wherever you're listening. Now, you may have noticed this month we have been covering cases on domestic abuse, or maybe you haven't, but yes, this month of October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So with that being said, we hope to push the awareness of this huge issue that is happening in many homes today. Let's talk about it. Let's make it known. Let's get these abusers who think they have all the control in the world to back down and help victims to speak up and be heard. If you think you're a victim, let me just tell you, no one owns you. There is not one person on this earth who owns you. All month long, I keep thinking, what more can we do as a podcast? I want to make shirts. I want to make a movement. If you have any ideas, send them to us because we want to make something happen and we're going to make it happen. Now, before we jump into this episode, we would like to warn you of its content, being that we will cover a case that includes domestic violence. It also includes domestic violence against a pregnant woman. Listener discretion advised. <laughs> My wife is she's not breathing. She's not breathing. What, what's the address? <laughs> and she's, how old is your purple. wife? She's purple. How and old is your wife? She's dead. Okay, she's listen dead. to me. Listen to me. Don't hang she's up. This is Kent County. I started the Med Zero in Kentwood. Okay. Caller, tell me what happened. My wife isn't breathing. She had, I think she had a, a sweatshirt around her neck and she's not breathing. She, she's dead. She's dead. She's dead, babe. What is wrong, babe? Why, what are you Red one echo. Red one echo. All right, we are sending the paramedics to help you now, okay? I need you to stay on the line. I want you to loosen anything that's around her neck and then tell me if she's breathing. I mean, she's not breathing. She's purple. Her eyes are bald. She's sad. Okay. Do you think she's beyond help? I do. I do. God. <laughs> that was 33-year-old Richard Gitchelar calling 911 for his wife, 32-year-old Amber Gitchelar, whom he allegedly found non-responsive, with her sweatshirt wrapped around her neck. The operator wondered if the act was intentional and they were dealing with a suicide. 
Richard ignored the question and continued crying and asking for immediate help, even though it was clear Amber was beyond medical help. When the operator asked if anyone else was in the room, Richard responded that their daughter was still in the room. The 911 operator demanded that she be taken out of the room while first responders worked on her mother. Later, Richard would insist that his wife's death was accidental, and he explained to anyone who would listen that she must have accidentally become tangled up in her sweatshirt and lost consciousness before she could extract herself from the entanglement. This story never made any sense to authorities and was full of holes, which later conflict with the physical findings. At first, Richard told authorities that he had been sleeping on the couch that night, as he often did, when he and Amber had been fighting. According to Richard, the relentless cries from his eight-month-old daughter woke him up from a deep sleep. Richard described himself to law enforcement as an attentive, doting father who went to tend to his daughter's needs when her mother appeared to be ignoring her plaintive cries. The only problem with that scenario was that Anyone who knew Richard, including his own family, didn't believe he would walk up one step on that staircase, let alone lift one finger to tend to either of his children. Brittany Wiley, who is Amber's sister, would tell authorities that Amber would always jump up quickly to quiet her children to avoid incurring her husband's anger at being woken up. Amber and Richard had two children at the time, two-year-old Ari, short for Aurelia, eight-month-old Zara, and a third baby on the way. Richard used the excuse that he was a traditional guy with antiquated beliefs as cover for his apathy and non-interest towards his family. The only problem with that was he wasn't living in a 1950s sitcom and his wife wasn't a stay-at-home mom waiting patiently for her husband to arrive home each night. One of the many problems with Richard's unrealistic expectations was that Amber expected a partnership in her marriage where both parents are responsible for raising their children together. To make matters worse, Amber was expected to work a full-time job outside of their home and then come home to work another full-time job inside of their home as well. There was never any division of chores. It all fell upon Amber's shoulders. This unequal division of responsibilities led to many fights. One in particular where Richard smashed his daughter's high chair because Amber asked him to clean it off. Whenever Richard did do something around the house, he would announce that he did it for Amber and expected praise for his hard work. This was something that frustrated Amber because she believed it was something he was doing for their family and not just for her alone. In a journal entry written by Amber, she mentioned buying replacement closet doors for her daughter's room. Richard had previously smashed the doors in one of his regular fits of rage. When he hung the new closet doors, he expected a thank you and praise from Amber, which she found ridiculous, especially when he was repairing damage he caused with doors that she had to go buy herself. By modern day standards, Richard had some catching up to do. In fact, he closely resembled an angry, unhelpful, raging jerk. And those aren't our words. Those are the words used to describe his demeanor and behavior by those who knew him the best. To complicate matters, Amber's pregnancy was causing extra stress on the growing family. 
As many of us immersed in the true crime world know, pregnancy is often the most dangerous time in a woman's life, second only to when a woman tries to leave the relationship. Not because of medical complications, but because of an increase in intimate partner violence. According to a study published in late 2021 in Obstetrics and Gynecology magazine, pregnant women in the United States die by homicide more often than they die from pregnancy-related causes. The majority of these homicides are perpetrated by an intimate partner. Unfortunately, Amber's death would eventually fall under this category, but not before police conducted a thorough investigation while they waited on the medical reports. During their investigation, they discovered that Amber, who was a schoolteacher, had a deep and abiding faith in her religion. She came from a strong Christian background and had a desire to serve others. This first realization began when she visited Guatemala during her freshman year of college. In preparation for her trip, she had only taken a basic level of Spanish class, which left her unable to communicate in a meaningful way. She was frustrated that she couldn't share with the locals her love for Jesus and all the things he had done in her life. That's when she felt God nudging her into learning and teaching Spanish. In a presentation she prepared in 2014, Amber wrote, quote, My whole life, it seems being a teacher is what I wanted to do. I felt as if it were what God was calling me to do. I think it's mainly because I love being around people and I love learning. When I started college, I remember saying to God, lead me where you want me to go, end quote. God had led Amber to develop a passion for teaching. After graduating from Calvin College, she took a position as a teacher at South Christian High School. The students all loved her for her enthusiasm, patience, and sense of fun. It was there that the school principal, George Gitchelar, saw something special in Amber and suggested she meet his son, Richard. The two hit it off immediately, and within no time, they were married with two children and a third on the way. Richard worked for a landscaping and snow plowing company and would come home exhausted and uninterested in taking or spending time with his family. Amber's sister, Brittany, also lived with the couple to help with the bills, which always seemed to be tight. She too would see the way that Richard treated her sister and knew that the couple were working through marital issues. Brittany was aware that the couple had engaged in physical fights in the past, but thought those types of issues were resolved. That's because Amber went out of her way to make sure her family didn't worry about her. Now, on the exterior, they were a picture-perfect family, which is a facade many women suffering from domestic abuse try to perpetuate. In that regard, Amber was no different. She worked hard to hide the bruises and the emotional abuse she suffered at the hands of her husband. This is common in relationships where the victim is still coming to terms with the reality of their situation. Oftentimes, victims of domestic violence think if they change their own behavior, it will result in the other person being less abusive. But this is never the case because it's never the fault of the victim and it's not their words or actions that are causing the abuse. Sadly, Amber had an extremely supportive family, yet she wasn't ready to share the abuse she was enduring because she was protective of her marriage. She also had high hopes that things would change for the better and she could keep her family together. 
Now, Amber and her mother spoke every day and sometimes several times a day, and she was still never able to bring herself to share the darkness in her relationship. It's quite common for victims of intimate partner violence to feel shame, guilt, and humiliation about their abuse and try to cover it up. But Amber was beginning to come to terms with the reality of her situation. And even though she wasn't ready to share the details with her family, she was beginning the internal struggle of realizing she needed to leave the relationship. We know this because Amber had begun keeping a secret diary where she shared some of her fears and observations about her dysfunctional relationship. The diary included a pros and cons list and other horrifying stories of abuse. Although Amber wasn't ready to confide in anyone else, she was confiding in herself, which was a great starting point. It's possible she was worried the journal would be found, which caused her to tear out some of the more damning entries and hide them in her car. Some of them are difficult to read because they had suffered water damage and the words began to bleed into each other. But the entries that were readable were extremely telling to investigators. It was a shocking record of abuse she endured, and it was heartbreaking for her family to learn that she kept it to herself and suffered in silence when she didn't need to. In the diary, she talked about how little Richard helped out and how frustrated Amber had become by his inability to do anything voluntarily or even when asked. Richard believed child rearing was Amber's job, as well as the household chores and domestic errands. Richard basically worked, came home, expected his dinner, and then watched television alone, planned out his riveting fantasy football team, or played video games. As Amber's birthday was approaching, her sister texted her and asked her what she wanted, and Amber jokingly said, a new husband. But deep down, Amber knew the husband she had wasn't the one she wanted or even felt safe around. Two days after sending that text, Amber would be dead. To compound matters, Richard had developed mental health issues from repeated concussions he suffered in the past that required him to take daily medication. The medicine made him so angry that he began taking it at night before bedtime to avoid angry outbursts. Occasionally, Amber would confide in close friends that his mood swings were difficult to deal with, and they often resulted in him breaking things or punching walls. But the rest of the time, she would assure her concerned friends that things were getting better. In one of the pages of Amber's secret diary, she asked herself, "'He isn't someone I want around my children. He is dangerous. I have literally thought to myself, am I safe sleeping next to him? Would he ever kill me?' Now, these concerns foreshadowed a deadly fate she never could have imagined. In another part of the journal, she listed his acts of violence, which included throwing a mug at their TV, smashing her cell phones, punching a glass shower door, smashing countertops with a hammer, and punched holes in the walls. Amber also made a list of things he never does, like cook, make a family meal, do laundry, turn on a vacuum, dust, clean, wash dishes, pick up toys, grocery shop, or pay bills. Amber wrote out his schedule, which included waking up, taking meds, putting on clothes, going to work, coming home, saying hello, taking a shower, eating dinner, playing video games, taking more meds, going to bed, and then repeating it all the next day. She would often tell family that Richard was like her third child, but a violent child, because in another post, she admitted that he had kicked, punched, and choked her. 
In another entry, she talked about how her family called him useless, and his own family wondered why she hadn't kicked him out already. During the investigation, Richard stayed with his family while Amber's family cared for her children. It was always Amber's wish that her sister raise her children in the event that she were to become unavailable. Richard's father seemed eager for the investigation to conclude, which he believed would eventually result in Richard's arrest. They repeatedly encouraged Richard to tell the truth. They had all come to love Amber as a daughter-in-law and a sister-in-law and felt enormous regret for not realizing she was suffering and her life was in jeopardy. It may have been these conversations that got Richard to share more with investigators about the night Amber died. That's when Richard's version of events began to change. Next, he told investigators that the real reason he wasn't sleeping in the same room as his wife that night was because she had the thermostat too high. He also admitted to law enforcement that he was extremely angry with Amber on the night she died for taking too long to lock the house before bed. The irony being, he could have just easily locked up the house himself. But again, all of the adult chores fell on Amber's shoulders. Amber's sister also shared with authorities that Richard never would have woken up to take care of the baby because his meds made him a very heavy sleeper. Not to mention, it was just out of character for him to be helpful with his children. To further complicate their marriage, Richard had an addiction to pornography, which Amber felt was a violation of their marriage vows. This was an ongoing battle that Richard struggled with. To add to the tensions in the marriage, the family dog, Scotty had gotten out and bitten a neighbor, causing severe injuries. That resulted in a judgment in over half a million dollars against their insurance policy. Richard's father, George Gitchelar, told law enforcement that he believed that there was a 98% chance that his son was guilty of Amber's murder. Richard's sister told authorities that, quote, he did it. He flew into a rage and couldn't gain control. He is an angry person. There is a whole other side to him. For a few years there, we thought it was really good. He was on medication and it was almost as if we could breathe a sigh of relief, like maybe we've made it through the worst of it, but he can get angry. He'll throw things, he'll punch things, he'll just rage and rage. He is able to spin things and be a master storyteller to get people to believe what he wants them to believe." End quote. Richard's brother told police that as a child, he would threaten to burn down the family home, and once he threatened to kill his brother's hamster by crushing it to death. He also threatened to cut his sister with a knife or leave her in a field to freeze to death. Richard's parents said that his personality began to change for the worse when he was a teenager and had suffered several concussions. They believe those head injuries led to his mental health issues later in life. In fact, both Richard's parents told law enforcement that they were scared while Richard was staying with them during the investigation. They feared for their own safety. They were trying to, quote, be patient and trust the legal system, but they thought their son needed to be in prison, end quote. Despite all of these concerns for themselves, they never once believed Richard's violent nature would result in his wife's murder. The autopsy report revealed that Amber had died from strangulation and asphyxiation. 
The medical examiner determined it couldn't have been a result of a suicide. It was strangulation inflicted by another. Of course, police knew that the only person home at the time physically capable of causing the fatal injuries was Richard Getchular. Additionally, there were bruises and abrasions to Amber's face that weren't visible a few hours before her death when she FaceTimed her sister. Those could only have occurred when Richard was home alone with his wife. Everyone on both sides of the family were convinced Richard had killed Amber and were relieved when he was finally charged with her murder in January of 2021. Amber was alone in trying to deal with her predicament. But her words from the grave gave law enforcement an unprecedented view into her marriage that pointed the finger of guilt directly at her husband. Richard pled guilty to second-degree murder and assault of a pregnant woman. During his sentencing, the judge asked him, Did you intentionally strangle your wife and kill her, and did you know she was pregnant at the time? His reply was yes. The DA's office said they couldn't determine the motive or what triggered Richard to kill his wife, but she had been in a violent relationship that escalated in intensity that resulted in her death. Richard made a statement to the court. He said, My wife was a wonderful human being, a wonderful mother, daughter, grandmother. I'm ready to accept responsibility for what I did. The judge described Amber's death as brutal and senseless and stated, What you did to your wife, your children, to the family of Amber and her friends is beyond comprehension. Quite frankly, this is an absolutely atrocious and terrible situation. You strangled your wife. He told Richard he was a danger to society and he should never be free again. Then he sentenced him to life in prison with a minimum of 33 years to a maximum of 100 years. Amber Gitchelar was buried on her 33rd birthday. Her life was cut short at the hands of a man she was supposed to be able to trust above all others. Now he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Amber's sister is married now, and she and her husband are raising Amber's two children as their own, and she is pregnant with a child due this month. Brittany stated that the children don't remember Amber and only consider herself and her husband as their parents. They see this as a blessing so they don't have to experience intense feeling of grief, loss, and abandonment. Instead, they have a mommy and daddy who love them both dearly and an angel mommy in heaven who looks over them. Amber's family wants her story to be shared far and wide in hopes it will help other women escape an abusive relationship before it's too late. They are urging anyone suffering in silence to reach out to family, friends, or organizations to get help before it's too late. On the day Richard was sentenced, Brittany made the following Facebook post, quote, Victims of abuse, please don't let the fear of your abuser drive you to say nothing. I feel like with abuse, a lot of victims aren't ready to leave the relationship for a lot of reasons. Abusers can also do a good job of making their victims feel like it's their own fault or the victims are the one to blame. Let's normalize talking about this topic to try to drive out some of the unknown and the fears associated with domestic violence and abuse. If you or a loved one are going through this, reach out. Make time to be with your friend who is going through this. Listen to them, but never judge them. Start a conversation. I have learned communication is key. 
Abuse in a relationship is not okay, whether that be physically, mentally, emotionally. It is very dangerous, and there are ways to get out of it. There are great organizations such as Safe Haven Ministries, WYCA, Resilience, Women's House of Prayer, to name a few. These amazing organizations provide safe housing, therapy, and children's services. Speaking up can open the tiniest door to getting some type of help. Today was a huge win in a sense that we got the best possible outcome in which we were given, but a little bit of justice was served. I'm so thankful for Prosecutor Rachel Woostman and how hard she worked to make sure Amber got the best possible amount of justice. I will never forget the first time we met with her and she told my family that she put up Aurelia and Zara's names on her office wall to say, this is for them every day she went to work and how justice needs to be served. Forever grateful for Officer Tim and his partner Sam. These guys worked nonstop to get Richard arrested in the first place and were beyond amazing during this whole process. For both families involved, this is pure heartache and pain. We know where Amber is, so that is what we focus on. Thank you everyone for your words, prayers, love, and support that you have given my family and me. Words can't describe my gratitude, end quote. In an interview Amber's mother, Amy DeGraff, gave to Fox News 8, she stated that, quote, for some reason, Amber chose to stay in a situation that obviously cost her life, and that is the mystery of Amber's story and the unknown of Amber's story, but also of domestic violence and domestic abuse in itself. The mystery of why does someone choose to stay when it could cost them their life. The fact that she would go to the extent of writing those notes and that she was trying to deal with it all on her own and shouldering all that on her own shoulders is just such a heartache for her dad and me, for her brother and sister, for her friends. Sadness and just so many unknowns and just devastation of what domestic violence can lead to, end quote. Amber's family wants her death to mean something and save someone else's life from a similar situation. The assistant prosecutor, Rachel Woostman, said it's common for domestic violence survivors to hide the abuse. And she stated, quote, I think the hard part is Amber did a really good job of covering for him, probably because of the type of kind person that she was. She was just so loving and caring and a fixer, and she always wanted him to be better and covered for him. So people only got to see, I think, little glimpses of the bad things about him. And unfortunately, I don't think they realized how bad it was getting. End quote. In the ultimate act of forgiveness and grace, Amber's mother approached Richard's father after his sentencing and said, she was sorry things had ended up the way that they had, and she was sorry that Richard had also lost a child too. She wanted to extend her condolences for their loss of their son to a lifetime sentence behind bars. If you or your loved one suffers from domestic violence, there are resources out there. There is help even if you feel like there isn't. There is help. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800 800- 799-7233, or you can text START to 88788. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will be with you next week.
Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.